Dan Ballot is Echoplex Media's hyper-local Bay Area and California news show, focusing on local politics and the lighter side of big city issues through the eyes of local news. Producer Dave and the councilman untangle the threads of small government and show us just how petty city politics can be. Tune in live at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia, Tuesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. At some point, we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds. Just a bunch of 
everybody. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. I'm producer Dave, and you can find me on Grinder. And this is The Councilman. You can find me at T-H-E underscore Councilman on Twitter, broadcasting live from the biggest small town in America. Welcome, everybody, to Down Ballot. I hope you uh, stay tuned with us tonight for the second part of our local show, Local Love, Fabulous Music, and Guests, and uh, Shenanigans with Producer Dave and Friends. So please stay tuned for that. Um, and if you're a, a podcast listener, thank you so much. Continue to download this on the, your podcatcher of choice, and please recommend us to your friends. We love your referrals. And if you don't have any friends and we're a substitute for your friends, that's okay. But also, like, we believe in you and people will like you. Just go find things you're interested in, be it shuffleboard or bowling, fucking cannabis, uh, you know, uh, competitive cannabis smoking. There are, your people are out there. <clears throat> yeah. Before what, before we get started today, uh, I spent the afternoon, as I usually do on Tuesday, posting on Twitter. No shit. Yeah, yeah. That's my Tuesday. I, I usually don't, like, spend like work hours like doing that but tuesday afternoon i, I spend it shit posting on twitter any uh any nice shits that you dropped that you um, want to reference so a couple announcements actually about the intellectual dollar tree first of all a week from tomorrow hk will be right here in the studio holy shit and uh yeah there's some things that uh, uh we'll say uh call it a half sister podcast to the intellectual dollar tree half competing podcast one of their hosts and I uh, have some disagreements about tone and approaches to things and um, ways we treat people who are charlatans who seem polite. Um, interesting, interesting stuff. And uh, we're going to hash that out probably over the weekend, um, do a pre-record, and then we'll run it um, the first hour of the Intellectual Dollar Tree. But we'll start that one an hour early because since HK is going to be here in the studio, um, and he never is because he lives in San Diego now, I'm not going to like run the... F- We'll run it an hour early, and we'll just go from seven with the uh, with the two co hosts here. Um, that should be a lot of fun. I do like the person I'm going to be talking with. It's not like that, but we certainly have some uh, pretty interesting disagreements about um, certain characters in the we'll call it they call it the heterodox sphere, and whether or not someone being generally nice is important at all if what they're doing is propping up a bunch of frauds and hucksters. So it should be a really interesting conversation, I think. So you you would say you have a professional disagreement with this guest uh, to the extent, you know what? Actually, the show that the only show that makes any fucking money probably is the intellectual dollar tree. So, yeah. <laughs> or let's shall we say a uh, semi pro, a semi professional uh, uh, disagreement. Uh, it's probably just more a matter of like personal disposition and there you go. ways of doing things, but it'll be good. It'll be a good conversation. I like him. I'm not going to say who it is because I'd like it to be a surprise for everybody. Although. If people have been yes. watching my Twitter, you probably know who it is. Um, but and, I look but forward make to sure, it. Make sure if you do visit Producer Dave's Twitter thing, uh, make sure you check out the tweets and replies because that's really where the real juice is. The stuff he pushes out just for, you know, promotional purposes for this show and others, you know, it's, it's great. I love it. But uh, the real juice is in the replies. So make sure you're checking all those. And also for people interested in Conspiracy Bingo on Friday, we have a, I'm not even kidding, we have the recording of Austin Bennett's last fucking court hearing. <laughs> oh, snap. When? How recent was this? Uh, end of end of March. Oh, beautiful. It was, the one where the, it was the one where the fucking judge said that he needs to be evaluated. <laughs> uh, you probably have someone getting bingo within like 10 minutes of that one starting up. 
or well, no, because 10 minutes he, of you know, testifying. You know, he didn't get to, he didn't get to do a Facebook live actually in the court, in the court. He was, he was shut down, but it was, it was interesting because he did try to do his usual kind of routine and the judges were like, we're not here for that. I need you to see this doctor to see if you're competent to be your own attorney or to stand trial at all. And he did not like hearing that. Let me tell you. <laughs> so he did represent him. He did represent himself in court. He kept calling it pro per. I'm going pro per. I'm going like he's some kind of fucking legal expert. I don't even know if that's <laughs> what pro per means. I'm representing myself, but that's like not what's important. What's important is that the it was it's great. You got to hear a judge tell him that he needed to go in for a fucking like a, a mental health evaluation before he represents himself in the trial. Oh my. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have a, there a lot of good shit coming up this week. Also, uh, Media Wench is out for um, Thursday, but I have a great co host uh, joining me. First time co host Mark from the Ultraviolet podcast is gonna be hopping on. Um, he's Fantastic. been I've been on his show, and I figured I'd return the favor by making him watch Fire by Night. So beautiful. So cults in the Satanic Panic are in good hands. Yeah, yeah. And so we just got a lot of good stuff coming coming up the next couple of weeks. So if you only listen to Down Ballot, uh, you should check out our other stuff. Uh, we don't have a guest 100. tonight for local love, but uh, Chip did come over last night and we kind of dialed in the little, uh, well, not little, there's a fucking 22 inch touch screen now where the laptop used to be for the co-host. So like, yep. And you, the, like you can see everything like real clear on it. <clears throat> it's fantastic. <laughs> and we dialed it in and he like was able to he logged into his Twitch on it and stuff. So <clears throat> he should be even better tonight as a co-host. So there's a lot of, a lot of cool things going on around here. <clears throat> and any and to the extent that I had to spend money on this touch screen, which I barely had to because it's like some weird off brand that nobody knows what it is. Uh, do, I do want to thank the patrons and the people who uh, subscribe to the Twitch channel, people who throw bits, people who give direct donations. I'm getting more and more direct donations lately, which is great because Twitch, uh, the split ain't so good. So uh, for direct donations, folks can go to Patreon? Um, direct donations, just hit the, you scroll down, hit donate. Um, it's streamlabs.com slash media. Or Great. just go to echoplexmedia.com slash support, and there's a couple ways to give us money. You can do Venmo, Ko-fi, um, there you go. Streamlabs, PayPal. Um, most people use Streamlabs, though, because it's right there during the show, and they get a little gif on the screen when they donate. It's a little kitty uh, floating on a, a piece of weed in outer space. So, I mean, if that's not a good reason to give give us 3 5 $7, I don't know what is. That's through Streamlabs if you do that. Um, Very appropriate. And just Very some real quick down-ballot news. Uh, last month, for the first time ever, down-ballot uh, increased its viewership more than a hundred percent month over month. So we have two viewers now. Yes. <laughs> or, or I'm sorry, podcast stat, stats month over month. Not okay. we, I don't really track that. It's hard to track individual shows on, oh, true. on Twitch because there's two shows tonight, but yeah, it doubled. Right. It doubled month. That's over fantastic. Month, so that's well, thanks to both listeners um, for downloading. <laughs> and, uh, but no, we're, to be in all seriousness, thanks to everyone who listens and please again, share with your friends, especially, I mean, obviously we cover a lot of news local news out of the bay area and the south bay particular and san francisco but if you're um no matter where you are all derp is local and if you want to share us your local news stories that you think are fantastic go into the discord and bay area news and drop them in there and we will absolutely cover them uh, we're always looking for for good stories oh yeah so, yeah if you're outside the bay area and you drop a crazy local news story from your area we'll definitely like fit that in at the end <clears throat> One other thing real quick, because we don't have enough going on here. It looks like historian Matt and I are going to start uh, yet another show. Um, but this one's going to be um, uh, technology. Um, we'll be talking about 
probably going to lean a little hard. I'm going to lean a little hard into open source, but Matt has some other things he wants to talk about. Um, we're not sure if we're going to be doing it live or just putting it out as a podcast, but okay. uh, <clears throat> yeah, we're, we're starting to work on that. We're going to have a little meeting about it on Saturday over, over ye oldie uh, video ninja and uh, eh, probably, probably June before it actually goes up because we want to make sure we have branding and kind of know what direction we're going and stuff, but it should be good. And Matt's a, Matt's a great co-host, really smart guy. And it'd be, it'll be nice to, have a project maybe where he can take the lead on it so swanky that's fantastic well more new mornings to come folks uh shall we get into it yeah let's get into it what, what do we got for leading all off? right leading off tonight uh it looks like uh, driverless cars are the new future uh and our, our our google overlords are watching us but uh it doesn't look like the pd is quite ready for that in san francisco um as driverless cars have been unleashed on their city and uh they're having some issues with policing them a future is here and it has everybody talking tonight. A video showing a self-driving car getting pulled over by police in San Francisco has gone viral on social media. NBC Bay Area Stephanie Magallon spoke with the man who took that video and has the story. It looks like an ordinary traffic stop. The officer gets out to speak with the driver, but then... Ain't nobody in it. It turns into the scene of a futuristic movie. Well, I was super surprised. I mean, one, because I haven't actually seen one of those cars actually drive autonomously. He and others thought the cruise car was evading police after getting pulled over. Everyone, including police, were laughing. But I think that they, were, they might have been like embarrassed because a lot of people were, were looking at him at the time or they just thought the whole situation was, was funny. It turns out the cruise car was pulled over for having its headlights off. In a tweet, Cruz says the AV yielded to police, then pulled over to the nearest safe location for a traffic stop, and added they work closely with SFPD on how to interact with these vehicles and have dedicated phone numbers for them to call. But experts say the clear confusion in this video shows that better protocols are needed. Clearly the police were confused, they didn't know what to do. We need to have processes and protocols and standards uh, that uh, cars can actually communicate. Maybe there's a switch where the cars can be stopped by the police. Professor Nog also says there should be bigger effort in training officers and other first responders on what to do with these self-driving vehicles in different scenarios. Crews started offering free nighttime rides in San Francisco earlier this year. Those who've gotten a ride from them say they're safe. I did not feel like I was being driven around by a computer. It felt like there was a real human. He says they went up the hills, past jaywalkers and Mooney buses. He was really surprised by how well the car maneuvers. It was, the experience was magical. We reached out to San Francisco <laughs> police for comment, but have not heard back yet. In San Francisco, Stephanie Magallon, NBC Bay Area News. Magical. I liked how after the cops sort of started walking away from the car, they were all, fuck you. <laughs> I did like the, if you look at it just objectively, it looks like the car is trying to like get away from the cops, right? <laughs> like, oh, 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 keep following me. Um, well, this is the new, the new world order. So it's Cruise, not Google, sorry, not, not uh, Waze or whatever, whatever their uh, self-driving Waymo or whatever Waymo. their self-driving car is. Waymo, thank you. Um, have you. Have you taken a cruise before? It sounds magical. I've not been in a self-driving car. I've been in a car that supposedly is self-driving, but the person driving it was driving it. Okay. So over uh, the override was, was selected. Uh, how do you suppose, I mean, to me, it's like the, the idea behind these cars is that they're, they're on autopilot because they're, they should be obeying all traffic 
laws and regulations right and they should be able to i mean if their headlights are off they should be on like they should be on a, some sort of sensor right like it would seem like that you know th these things these cars wouldn't break the law right that's kind of the idea or maybe not i don't know if i was a cop i'd have just reached in and turned on the fucking headlights and like tapped the thing on the back said get out of here get on your way right like it's like you would with anyone else right like a cop i mean um Unless you're black, of course, a cop will usually just pull up and say, hey, turn your lights on, right? If you're black, of course, they get out of the car and shoot you. Um, so, uh, but that's the, the the way it is. Um, all right, well. Yeah, when I used to drive, off. when I used to drive, I had a funny experience where a cop pulled up next to me and he's like, hey. And I'm like, oh, shit, my exhaust. And he's like, no, actually, your car sounds great. He's like, turn on your headlights. <laughs> right. and then he like stomped on the gas at the fucking at the fucking when the light turned green like he wanted me to race him and i'm like uh-uh that's entrapment fuck you uh yeah that's that, gotta love that right um they're all ready to make it a drag race but don't try to don't try to do that to them no 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 um do as i say not as i do i guess yeah you know what i've uh, I, there's a lot of like every car every person i know who has like a fairly late model car even if it's not driverless the headlights just turn on when it gets dark yeah i mean fuck I, a lot of cars nowadays you can't turn the fucking headlights off like the, you just right. turn the car on and they're just on right so uh, you can't you have no option um i rented a car recently on a vacation and i'm like my car's a little older right it's like 10 i think i've had it 10 years now um but at the time it was top of you know whatever top of the line uh as far as interface right driver interface i can't figure out with this new car what to do like it's all, it's all on a computer screen and you have to cycle through a bunch of pages to get the, on the touch screen to find you know figure out how to aim the whatever the ventilation system so it doesn't blow you in the face anyway long story short i'm a noob um but we'll, we'll figure it out soon enough and if i have some but i don't know how if i'm really going to be able to give up the control that easily to the driverless cars i might have a little issue driving around in one but we'll see i have to be a taxi driver anyway so it's it's kind of a control thing i think <clears throat> i think most people's first experience with driverless cars is going to be getting in one that's going to be like an uber or a cab or something like that and so i think like people this, yeah. will be like <clears throat> before you if people are even going to have their own driverless cars which once you get rid of the driver i see less and less point in actual ownership of the car unless you live like outside of a city there'd be no like why would you own the thing why wouldn't you just rent time where yeah, no, you, you just have your schedule the and the car comes and picks you up at the normal schedule, takes you to work, fucking picks you up or you, you know, oh, I'm off work a little early and then you wait a few minutes or whatever. But yeah, but I, yeah, I think people will be eased into it through some, through things like, you know, uh, uh, ride share services. So if people do end up buying their own car, they'll, they'll have be, they'll be familiar with, uh, with self-driving cars, how they operate and kind of sure like what they do. One hundred percent, and this there's a tie in here to public policy too. The, uh, just what you just spoke about in terms of you know people using rideshare and why own a car, right? And there's there's so many, no matter what study or survey you look at, so many quote unquote young people um, are the Gen Zers, right? The Gen Nether regions or or, or whatever's, um, <laughs> they're they're all uh, saying that yeah, why, why own a car, right? Um, uh, and they're going to be using this service. And so we're using land use, right, to say, well, we don't need as much parking in this building. We can build more housing in this parking, right, or in this building. We can build more opportunities for people to live and to work in this building as opposed to space for cars, right? Um, so I think that it's a good thing from my perspective. Um, and if we can figure out how to deal with uh, this this new technology um, and, and 
make sure it's accountable and does all the right things and doesn't <laughs> and uh and ever keeps everyone safe then i'm all for it and the smartest funniest co-host of the of the show the chat is saying well this is all well and good unless it's the expense of better public transit infrastructure and right. that's generally my take i have a feeling because america's like a big car culture kind of place especially california that a lot of this is going to like like even elon musk hates public transit right he has is on the record saying that it's gross or some shit and it's like you've been on light rail dude you fucking you you fucking eat off the floor in the light rail shut the fuck up but um so in california and it's gonna i think this stuff's gonna be kind of in lieu of proper public transit and i mean i guess Mm -hmm. that's okay if the cars are efficient and the energy is coming from somewhere efficient and you end up with more than one person in the car maybe like on you know longer trips or whatever but mm-hmm. i think it's going to be used almost as an excuse to not properly fund like rail systems and i think that's uh, long term fucking stupid it seems like the mentality and the preference here is for more personalized transportation right and not not communal not communal anything really like it's just california in general it just seems like a very selfish kind of a, <laughs> a community when it comes down to it so um except in places like san francisco is a rare breed just because it was it developed was developed and was built out at a time when um you know, it, uh, it, it's just so dense, right? The public transit was a thing and was able to, and was built into the infrastructure of the city. Whereas just about everywhere else in California, you're kind of grafting public transit onto an existing infrastructure that's built around the car. So there's already, it's already starting from behind. It's, it's a really hard sell to supplant it. And I think you're right. And from what I've seen, the resistance to public transit's always like, well, we can do these people movers or Elon Musk's got his, you know, got the, uh, uh, the tunnel with the boring project. Right. But yeah, it's all about, like I want to sit in my own little sanitized container and go for where I want to go. And I don't want to have to stop where all these other, you know, basically Brown people want to stop. Well, and we also saw like in Vegas, right. When he had that demonstration of the, um, the, the tunnel, there was just a, an instant, instant traffic jam. Do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, then right. like, it occurred to me when I was watching that, I'm like, what if one of these cars blows up? How do you even get out of this tunnel? There's like right. not enough. You could run, I suppose, but there's barely even room to run next to the cars. The tunnel's barely wider than the cars. Like if the tunnels for the individual people movers and shit were going to be feasible, they'd have to be like, you know, two lanes wide for every lane for cars. Otherwise, it would just be completely unsafe. It would be a death trap if there was a fire down there. Right. And so it's like that. It has not been that, thought out very well by whoever's working for Elon Musk, who's who he who is thinking and causing him to have money. You know. Yeah, well, that and then what? What if there is a backup, right? Like you said, like are we going to have like a bunch of parallel tubes, or is it like if it's just one tube and and one person gets backed up, then the whole system gets backed up, and then where are you, right? So, yeah, lot lots to be figured out with that. And, and frankly, the studies show that it's just the cost if, for the for people movers or in, or personalized transport is infinitely higher anyway than building a decent public transportation system. Um, so, all right, well, that was leading off. Uh, moving on to our favorite segment of the show, winners and losers, because there usually are no winners unless they're losers already. <laughs> uh, but uh, speaking of losers, uh, PG&E is the big loser, uh, uh, at least today. But the big losers, unfortunately, are the folks who lost their homes because PG&E neglected their equipment and it set off some fires. So we're finding out some of the consequences for them now. 
announced today with PG&E and counties affected by two of California's major wildfires. PG&E has agreed to a $55 million settlement for both the 2019 Kincaid Fire in Sonoma and the 2021 Dixie Fire in Plumas, Lassen, Tehama, Shasta and Butte counties. ABC 7 News reporter Leslie Brinkley has details into the settlement. These people spent a year bringing PG&E to justice. And I believe that's what we did here. The Sonoma County District Attorney made the big announcement that they had reached a settlement with PG&E to resolve pending criminal charges in the 2019 Kincaid Fire, a wildfire that began under a PG&E transmission line in October 2019. The fire burned for 15 days, destroying 77,000 acres and hundreds of homes and structures. Six firefighters were seriously injured. The Sonoma County DA said the most significant element of the settlement is PG&E agreeing to five years of oversight with an independent monitor. And there's the payout. It is significant. It's $55 million, about $42 million of that is going to be going into these communities. That includes millions to expand the Santa Rosa Junior College Fire Technology Program and requiring PG&E to hire at least 80 new wildfire safety employees. They're going to be working on vegetation management and then also system inspections. They're going to bring local expertise here to the critical fire safety work that we're doing. Some criticize the settlement for not going further. I look at it as doing the best that we could under the circumstances. You know, I mean, I'm just a prosecutor in Sonoma County. I, I, I mean, if I had a magic wand and I could wave it, maybe PG&E wouldn't exist anymore, right? But Governor Newsom has decided that PG&E is going to continue. The DA said they need more tools from Whoa. Sacramento to better deal with potential criminality in giant corporations. The DA also said that PG&E still faces huge civil claims from the Kincaid fire that can now move forward. In Sonoma County, I'm Leslie Brinkley, ABC 7 News. So, <clears throat> unfortunately, PG&E, sure, they're going to pay this, but they're going to use my PG&E bill to pay it. So they're just going to raise the fucking PG&E bill, man. And $55 million is like a fucking drop in the bucket compared to the amount of money that was lost by collectively by the communities um, and the people who lost their homes and the people who lost everything, right? Um, and none of those dollars, it sounds like, are going directly to those people. It's I don't, I don't know that any of them have like their own individual lawsuits and insurance claims with and how much they've been made whole, right? But you can give them, you could pay them the whole cost of their house, right? And they still have, like, they've lost their house. Like, they have to rebuild their house. They've lost all their possessions, all of their memories um, uh, in these fires. And $55 million to pay for a fire safety program at the local junior college. Like, woohoo, right? <laughs> I completely agree. This is, this is BS. And the district attorney is dead right, right? If she had any more power, if she was able to exert more power over this investor-owned utility, uh, publicly-owned utility, by the way, basically, publicly investor-owned utility, um, hybrid public-private business, um, if she had more authority, if she had more power and clout politically, she could get more out of them, but she doesn't. And if the governor is going to back these fuckers and if the legislature is not going to crack down on them, then they're just going to keep doing what they're doing. Why, why wouldn't you, right? If you were a bus big business. So, uh, yeah, it's a sham and they should be paying through the nose for this, but they won't. Well, and, and this is like one of the, people. this is like one of the few places where I'm going to say that like the people in the city have it pretty good and the people outside of the city get the shaft. 
um, mm-hmm. because you can't burn down the concrete jungle very easily. Mm. If this happened like in San Jose, like if a whole swath of, you know, uh, even the east side, frankly, got, you know, went up in smoke. Um, yeah, and people, thousands of people lost their homes. You would see some serious fucking movement. <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right. Um, but, uh, and it's unfortunate. It just means people, you know, depending where you live, again, location, 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 it can mean life and death. It could mean thousands of dollars. Um, it could mean, you know, everything, livelihood. I mean, there um, were, like, we watched, we actually watched very little of it. Um, it was like when we, when we first started doing video, probably in 2019. And I, <clears throat> I made an editorial decision to not air a bunch of fucking trauma porn, basically, of people, mm-hmm. videos from their cars, yeah. of them driving their car in a place where I'd be like, don't drive there. Your car is going to catch on fire. And it's like, well, I don't right. have a choice, really, actually. I got to get out of here. And so yeah, we, either you know, I go this way or into the fire. <laughs> yeah. You got to go into the fire to get out of the fire. And so, right. I mean, we made an, a decision. I made a decision not to run a bunch of that, but like. Just think of like what that was like, like, okay, for an adult bad enough, but what about for a kid or a pet or somebody, some a pet who has no idea what the fuck's going on, doesn't like the car in the first place now. And so like, this doesn't even begin to touch, like, not just like individual trauma, but like community trauma and like, yeah, community trauma that these people are going to feel. Uh, there's a woman I know, uh, she's, a, she's a good friend of a, or she's a, good, a mother of a good friend of mine. And whenever she hears the wind start to howl, she starts to get fucking nervous and she shouldn't, she's not nervous that like her, you know, window's going to break or a tree's going to fall. She's nervous that her fucking city's going to burn down. And Mm -hmm. so that's like a different kind of nervous. And so like people are going to be living with, with like the results of, you know, having lived through fires before. And it's not like the people who live through these fires are in a position to just, well, I'm going to go move to San Francisco or San Jose or even Sacramento where the fire danger is lower because that, that, that financial hurdle is pretty big to get out, you know, to get out, out of the countryside or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's no way it works, works in reverse, but not that way. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's, that's harder to quantify, right? Like you can't really quantify like, what is that worth? But that's not nothing. And it seems like that gets left out of a lot of this, you know, um, Redding burned down a couple times and I, you know, there's, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, we shit on Redding, but like, well, not Redding the city again, the city was generally fine because it was, you know, concrete, but the areas around mm-hmm. it have caught on fire and those people yeah. are fucking traumatized from that shit. And I just wonder how much that like kind of plays into the civil unrest that's going on up there. You know, kind of if that shit's in the background, you know, like what well, how yeah, does that play into the civil unrest going on up there? Folks in rural areas in cross California and anywhere really, but especially in California where you have such a uh, dichotomy between the urban areas and the, and the rural areas um, and the concrete jungle and the pastoral uh, regions, uh, there's such a stark contrast and there is a stark contrast of resources and attention and, uh, you know, uh, and engagement. And, uh, you know, the folks in the rural communities suffer from that uh, in a lot of ways. They get you know, if in the nice time when nothing's going on, they do get their privacy and their their space, right? And they get, um, you know, lower cost of living, but they also just get less services and less attention. And when shit hits the fan, you know, they're going to get neglected. Whereas if shit hits the fan, you know, in San Francisco, you know, heads roll. So, well, um, I think and, you're right. <clears throat> I mean, okay, so if something bad like that happens in San Francisco, the body count might be higher, but you also have people living closer together and they could engage in more like mutual aid and with 
on foot, basically. They can engage yep. in mutual aid. Oh, my place didn't burn down. I have a bunch of food. Let's go help some people. Well, if you live a block away from the block that burned down, that's easy enough to do. But if it's 15 miles away because you're out in the middle of nowhere, then it makes mutual aid and community aid a lot harder. Makes it harder for even people from outside of the area who want to help. It makes it harder for them. And it, yeah, it's just, it's just more difficult when, you know, shit happens there. Um, 100%. 100%. And we saw how people come together during the, you know, for those of us who were alive <laughs> during the 89 quake, you know, uh, uh, I think people really did just dropped all pretense and just pitched in to help because when shit really hits the fan people do generally step up to help their neighbors and sometimes it's the only time they step up to help their neighbors but at least they do it when shit hits the fan <laughs> no i mean it was amazing i was a kid but i've seen about stuff about it since the macarthur maze fucking collapsed and within 10 mm -hmm. minutes people in the neighborhood were climbing a collapsed structure to try to save people they've never met right at like massive yeah. risk to themselves and yes. like if you're in the middle of nowhere it's just who's going to do that there's nobody even if everybody wants to there's nobody there to do that no not at all just your neighbor who probably just lost their house too right and your um, neighbor might be far enough yeah. away that in some cases depending on where you're at or they might just be trying to get the fuck out they might have evacuated because it's not earthquakes they're worried about up there it's fires and you have a little more time with fire than an earthquake right a big earthquake mm -hmm. could happen right now and the whole fucking shit could fall down last show ever everybody <laughs> but but then Don't if forget my place fell down, out. my neighbor's place that didn't fall down, they'd be digging through the rubble in five fucking minutes to try to drag my ass out. I'd be like, there's red audio interfaces in there. They'd be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Get the touch screen. Get the touch screen. <laughs> yeah, but it's, oh, it's, man. it's the, the problems well, compound. It's, it's harder. And oh, you know, an earth, earthquakes more immediate. Like there's fires after it, but after the earthquakes done, it's not likely that there's, you're going to be able to help people right away. Whereas in a fire, maybe not. Well, if it was the San Francisco, the 06 earthquake, you've got the fire, the earthquake, and then the fire on top of that because of the gas, gas leaks and whatnot. So there's sometimes more, more on top of things. Well, um, speaking of rural areas, not getting as much attention as the uh, more urban areas. Um, we had a situation down in Gilroy we covered not too long ago, and there's a little more information coming out now uh, about a, a kind of an in interesting incident at a councilwoman's house. So uh, we're, we're hearing more about it now that it, there's been an investigation. A scathing new report has just been released about a Gilroy City Councilwoman. The report is the result of an independent investigation called for by the city after a deadly shooting at a Halloween party at that councilwoman's home. NBC Barry's Damian Trujillo is in Gilroy with the findings. After the incident, there were calls for the council member to resign. After this report came out, those calls are now growing louder. The shooting left an 18-year-old dead and another teen suffering serious injuries. The Halloween party where it all happened was at the home of Gilroy Councilwoman Rebecca Armendariz. One person was arrested for murder, only to later be released for lack of evidence. Today, the city released the results of an independent investigation. It's a scathing 120-page report about Armendariz. It was a very thorough investigation, from what I can tell. As a result, the city issued Armendariz 10 citations for violating city ordinances. Among them, an ordinance meant to curb underage drinking. Investigators also say she violated Gilroy's special permits requirement. The report also states that Armendariz knew more about the party than she initially let on, like the fact that she helped book portable toilets for her underage nephew for the event. I think it's beyond doubt that she needs to go now. Ron Kirkish is a longtime community activist who's been calling for Armendariz's resignation. So I think it's time. We need we need city council people that that uh, 
don't uh, do things. Uh, don't do crimes. Bad stuff. In a text exchange, Armendariz <laughs> told me she would appeal the city citations decision. Beyond those citations, the mayor says there isn't much the city can do. Censure or removal? Or we no. Nothing. This that was the whole point of the statement that I was trying to make is to inform the public that this has nothing to do with the course and scope of a council member. The mayor says that's because Arbendides attended the party as a private citizen, not a councilwoman. The city posted the entire report on its website, the mayor says, so residents can draw their own conclusions. The criminal investigation in the case continues. The victim's family declined to talk on camera, but in a brief phone conversation, the victim's grandmother told me she is glad this report is finally out. In Gilroy, Damien Trujillo, NBC Bay Area News. Oh my, this could also be on down ballot watch, but we had a packed docket there tonight, so I, I made it into winners and losers because there are no winners in this situation, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, again, I don't think we'll ever know the full truth of what went down, but um, the investigator's report went on to say that the councilwoman's story was uh, highly incredible, um, or uncred uncredible, I guess. Um and not believable, which is another way of saying she was not being truthful, which is another way of saying she kind of lied to independent investigating law firm um, that the city hired. So doesn't look great. Um, I want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. And again, she didn't pull the trigger or wasn't, you know, maybe she wasn't even there for the party and, but uh, cer certainly facilitated it in some way and was not so honest about it afterwards. So, um, but I don't guess, I guess there's no, you know, recall available in, in Gilroy. I thought there might be. As a, I don't know if they're a charter city with the state, but that's. I guess that would be the only recourse. The mayor seemed to back off from wanting to do anything as far as censuring or uh, or going after her, so professional courtesy, maybe. But uh, Roy, or whatever his name is, seems pretty intent on, <laughs> on getting her out of office. Well, uh, Any thoughts? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of two minds. Um, it doesn't really have anything to do with her job as the city council person. And yeah. there's elections, like you were saying before, and she's probably not going to win. Um, <laughs> like next time around, I'm, I'm not an expert on Gilroy run. city politics, but I'd be willing to bet that people sure. would be like, vote for anybody else. Yeah, we'll do that. Right. She, I mean, she may not even run. Um, I believe she was elected two years ago now, so she'd be up for re-election in 2024. Um, so it's entirely possible she doesn't run again and she just serves out her term. Um, but we'll see. We'll obviously keep an eye on it. Um, but I, I would agree with you there because it didn't have anything to do with her, her job as a a councilwoman or her, her business with the city. It really is just her um, personal, um, you know, morals and, and, and integrity that's at stake here. So it's up to her. Sometimes though, uh, as I was taught many times going through public service, the perception of conflict, the perception of, uh, of guilt, the perception of malfeasance, even if it has nothing to do with your job as a public servant is sometimes worse than even actual uh, malfeasance because there's just such a, a gray area and folks can make up their own minds well um, right if some whereas, if, if something happens and she's the one there to issue a statement about it because she just happens mm -hmm. to be there the city representative there then nobody's gonna fucking maybe they need to listen to the city representatives and people are like well she doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about and then like a situation gets worse because yeah. she lacks credibility correct that's that's the concern i think so um that's the most concerning thing if 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 it had just been you know, open and shut. Yes, she facilitated these things. Yes, um, I accept the citations. Uh, 
uh, and the, and everyone seemed to think everyone was being honest and truthful. Then I think it go frankly it might not go away entirely, but it'll, it would it would definitely lessen the blow. I think the fact that you know it seemed like there's been some obfuscation here is definitely going to hurt her, unfortunately um, or fortunately. I don't know. We Absolutely, we'll follow. We'll follow, but yeah, I think I think it will definitely hurt her in terms of political future, right? If she, if she decides to run or not, I think you're right. It's going to be really difficult for her to win re-election. But it, again, people have very short memories in local politics, um, so we'll, we'll talk about more about that later on a on a when we do our ballot box bingo for the June primary. There's some interesting <laughs> historical. There's some interesting historical stuff going on in our our local elections. We're already ready um, for ballot box bingo. And God damn it. We'll actually make great? a bingo card for it, though. I think this time oh, that'd be fabulous. Yeah, yeah, we, and we can, we can. That'd be great. Come up with our own bingo card. All right. Um, well, moving on down the docket, uh, we we seem to be bashing on Millennium Tower a lot, so we'll take a week off and we'll bash another public works project in San Francisco. <laughs> The massive San Francisco Central Subway project is in serious danger of opening later than planned, perhaps much later. NBC Bay Area investigative reporter Jackson Vanderbecken learned groundwater has been leaking through the concrete walls of several underground stations, which may be the result of a flaw in the design. The long-troubled Central Subway through Chinatown now has a $1.9 billion price tag and is finally close to being done after years of cost overruns, delays, and other headaches. But there's one final hitch, leaks. Here at the Yerba Buena station, we obtained this Muni photo showing standing water in an electrical room. Oh, oh fucking no fantastic. Issue. <laughs> at the Union Square station is where this white residue is the telltale mark of repeated leaks that Muni officials say they've now fixed. But at the Rose Pack station in Chinatown, Muni is still working to plug leaks in the ceiling, hoping to be done soon. Wow, there's a lot of leaks. <laughs> I like him more than I have Leak seen effort. before. Wait one more time. Leaks in the ceiling, hoping to be done soon. Wow, that's a lot of leaks. That's right. That's right. You get them. It was I have many many leaks, more than I have seen before. Local engineer Jerry Cawthon spent five decades working on major underground transit projects, including Bard and Muni. The Central Subway was going to be vulnerable to leaks, he says because it's 100 feet deep, built in the path of what Muni officials say is an underground river. When it gets down below the water, it has tremendous <laughs> pressure against any surface. If you're down 100 feet, it's 6,240 pounds for every square foot. Huge amount of pressure. Cawthorn says the key to guard against leaks in concrete is to have a properly sealed, resilient membrane. And if it isn't sealed on the outside very thoroughly, then that water is going to work its way through and it's going to be showing up on the inside. We first reported leaks started showing up back in 2019 when the subway project was already running a year behind schedule. Muni assured us then that it had the problem in hand. Three years later, Muni acknowledges to having mixed results with ongoing efforts to plug the leaks. The contractor is blaming a design flaw and a federal monitor says an outside consultant agrees, saying the system isn't properly sealed tight against leaks, like a bathtub. The monitor warns the problem must be solved this month to have any chance of meeting the fall scheduled opening date. Muni says the problem is not unusual in underground projects, and it's made progress. 
thanks to an Australian pressure grouting technology. But Cotton <laughs> wonders if the work can be done on time. Nothing about this has been done very well. As for that photo of Yerba Buena Station, Cawthon told us he couldn't believe it when he saw water pooling around critical electrical equipment. Well, that's not where you want water standing, that's for sure. <laughs> oh my God, I love him. <laughs> Muni officials say although there's still some residual leaks in those electrical rooms, they'll get to them in time to safely open this fall. Jackson Vanderbecken, NBC, Bay Area News. That's cool. We'll just let the water pile up and, you know, get up to the transformers. But, you know, we'll, we'll wait on that. We'll figure that out later. Ah, that, that guy's great. He's obviously uh, taken a couple punches from Public Works, too. He had the bandage on his his cheek. They're probably, <laughs> they're probably, yeah, stop that, talking about us, leak expert. That story wouldn't have been that great except for the fucking guy. I love that guy. He's like, oh, that's no. a lot of leaks. <laughs> Wasn't that, same, wasn't that the same dude from the Millennium Tower? I mean, the reporter was the same, but wasn't that the same man on the street, for, civil engineer from the Millennium Tower reports? He was like, yeah, this is bad. This is all bad. Yeah, maybe he's their go-to because he's funny. <laughs> he's great. He's a civil engineer. And, and he, uh, he's just got all the one-liners and the zingers. Um, so yeah, this does not look good. Um, I definitely would not feel comfortable riding on that train, given all that that's going on, even if they opened it you know, tomorrow, especially if they opened it tomorrow. I don't want to get electrocuted while I'm riding the subway. That would suck. Nah, I'll, I'll ride the fucking train. Whatever. Well, this is a long time coming. This has been a, I mean, a long time coming for this project actually is like decades. Um, and not that it's been under construction for decades, just that they've been proposing it and trying to get community support and money and political will. Um, but it's really just a shortcut uh, for Muni through uh, downtown. Uh, uh, so we'll see. We will definitely follow uh, results, but it, it actually runs through the Transbay or not th the Transbay Terminal, which is part of the Millennium Tower, Salesforce Tower complex that has just had all sorts of problems. So they really, really need to work on Public Works uh, uh, accountability in San Francisco because they obviously are not hiring the A plus contractors on these gigs. Um, so yeah, uh, I was wondering. See. I was wondering, is this another? <clears throat> is this another case where maybe, maybe they'll learn a lesson? They probably won't. Maybe they'll learn the lesson that if you front load <clears throat> a little more money on something, kind of overdo it on the engineering side, overdo it. That means like you know, do the the plan with the most like due diligence. The plan where there's mm -hmm. more inspectors, more checking, more more verification, more outside groups taking a look at the plans, more experienced contractors and union you know, workers and yeah. Just, yeah, All more, just more yeah. to do it better. Yeah. If, if they, yeah. you know, if they will, if they'll learn their lesson, I'm curious to, and I don't think anybody here has the answer. Is there a public works project in the United States in the last 20 years that would be a model for this where maybe they, you know, they did front load the expense, maybe even at political expense to the people doing it, but then the project finished maybe even under budget and on time. And it's wonderful. I'm just, I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to have that information off the top of their head, but if there was an example like that to point to, it would be really good to have, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't know that there is one, frankly, but if there are out there, uh, if anyone knows of one, please do. Um, like the big dig in Boston comes to mind where they were digging like a, a huge whole, you know, tunnel for a, to put a freeway under downtown same thing over budget over you know uh, many more years it, it was so far behind that by the time it was finally built like the car is pretty much obsolete now <laughs> but they have it they have the big tunnel now um 
So yeah, no, it's it's a it's a pretty standard thing in public works projects where they don't ask for the money that they need up front, or they're just not because either because they don't have the will to ask for that much, or because they just don't do the fucking math and figure it out that they you're right, the investment needs to come up front, so you do it right the first time. It's just like anything. Like if anyone has had a home project, right, a DIY improvement project, or a, just a home improvement project, or even just like you're replacing the furnace in your house or some something simple like that, you know. Uh, you, you want it done right the first time and you're, and you should be willing to pay a little extra to have a professional do it rather than like trying to cobble together, you know, guy down the street to who you just met. Who's like, Oh yeah, I'll do that for you for nothing. Or you try and do it yourself. Right. And you fuck it up. Right. You might as well pay, uh, the good wife and I are really big on specialized industry, pay the person, pay the professional up front to do it right. Rather than wasting your time and your money doing it wrong and then having to redo it. Yeah, my my folks had to have the stucco redone on their house. I can't even imagine like how much that cost. <clears throat> but they uh they did not go with the cheapest. Yeah. My mom always says go with the middle. Go with the middle bid. Get like three bids and go with the middle one. Well, I don't know what probably... I don't I don't know that much detail. I was like, oh, did you go with the low bid? My mom gave me the look. She's like if your dad would have been in charge, we probably would have, but I went with the people who had a reputation and did the house down the street. That looks good. Actually. Yeah. Check the Yelp reviews, check the Yelp reviews, <laughs> make sure there's more than two. Um, but check the Yelp reviews. So, and it, it also just sounds to me like San, San Francisco really needs a win. And wouldn't it be a great win for the city of San Francisco? If this fucking documentary we've been watching wins like a goddamn Pulitzer prize. <laughs> I think it's going to, and this is the episode that's going to do it. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Here's episode five of Saving San Francisco. Why should I live in fear? The answer is you fucking shouldn't. And if you're afraid, leave. The only thing you have or to be afraid of is a wildfire. This music is going to win an award. I like a good mystery. I think I was 12. Oh, it was like mystery music. First Bond came out and I have been a fan since seeing that first James Bond, followed closely by Indiana Jones, which is a similar bad guy adventure. I'm like addicted to adventure. My name is Edie Silver Walker. I live in San Francisco and have been here for 23 years. One day, I was walking down Clement Street, did a little shopping, stopped to get a baked good at a Chinese bakery. Always a treat. While I was there, I pulled out my phone and saw a crime and safety alert from the app next door. It was a very vivid- The crime and safety alert was like suspicious person. Piercing- Black person. Blue eyes, kind of troubled blue eyes. A federal warrant was issued today for his arrest. He is homeless and often wears layers of clothing, including skirts, dresses, and jeans and hats. Oh. So that was that. I proceeded down a block and a half, kind of strolling looking, and I, looked in a doorway on my right and basically locked eyes with those eyes and it was just the look in the eyes the expression it wasn't just the eyes it was the expression surrounding the eyes kind of intense eyes and so we connected and I kept it cool I think but in my head I'm like I just saw him mind your business After I it's music him, I did the old oh, forgot something kind of maneuver walked by again so he was on my left and just kind of looked in and confirmed it was him and then discreetly ducked into a doorway at a restaurant and called 
the SFPD, and they went over and identified him. Rude. And came back and told me he was apprehended. Police Chief William Scott commended me and thanked me. I helped them ID a very wanted fugitive. Who did that man end up being? Uh, his name is James Durgan. James Durgan. Ah, there you go. He had federal marshals trying to find him. My post on Nextdoor was the reason he was caught. That was about three years ago. And since then, we know James Durgan has been arrested and released several more times. But even when he's in jail, Anne Ray feels like she can't escape him. She says it's like she's always forced to think about him, worry about him, wonder when he might be back. I just wanted to say something. When I tell people how many restraining orders he has and what he's done, it's hard to believe. Over the past two decades, there have been at least 16 restraining orders, including Ants. It just actually makes a difference. That's why you want to do it. And her Wait, wait, what are they doing? So they had her like, she like bought a USB mic and put it on a stand. And then for the thing, they couldn't even catch the audio from her microphone. They just used like a fucking, like what? I think they're, sh I think they're showing her doing her business, like her business. I think she's like, she has some online business here. I think, I don't know. I haven't watched yet, but I think that's what's going to happen. There's still like, a record. So like, there's still like a recording. There's still a recording of her mic somewhere. Yes. Oh, absolutely. She's probably feeding that directly into her, her business zoom or whatever. And this is just like her a B-roll. And teaches online classes for artists, there you go. showing them how to sell their work. The fact is, you have made progress here. So she spends most of her days home alone and scared. Staring at her window She's with binoculars. A dozen of James Durgan's criminal hearings. And she often gives a statement to the judge. We haven't been allowed to record audio in court. So Anne reread one of her messages for us. If you release him yet again, the park police and I know that he will immediately return to stalking me. Please break the cycle once and for all, please. Anne is convinced her pleas to the judge and district attorney will never be enough to keep James Durgan locked up. He's repeatedly been set free on the condition he complete drug rehab. But time after time, James has removed his ankle monitor and walked out. And even when he's eventually caught and rearrested, the court releases him all over again and hopes he'll eventually follow through with the treatment. It's scary. It's alarming. And the thing is, what is really scary is that people just don't even know how bad it is. It's like their crimes just evaporate, like it didn't happen, like they're, they pose no risk and it makes no sense. The DA and the judge make no sense. District Attorney uh, Jason Boudin ran on a platform of ending mass incarceration. And in the two years since he took office, San Francisco's jail population has dropped 30%. That is, in part, due to new safety protocols to minimize overcrowding during the pandemic. But Boudin's own policies have focused on giving accused criminals alternatives to jail. In fact, defendants in 30% of criminal cases have been able to avoid charges by completing what are known as diversionary programs, which can include job training and drug treatment. And that's exactly how James Durgan has been able to avoid going to trial on his most recent charges, which include accusations of violence. Each time he's been released from jail, 
James is ditched rehab, only to wind up back on the streets and ultimately behind bars. There's no limit on how many times a person can mess up when it comes to diversion programs. It's all up to the judge. Chesa Boudin. The DA says enrollment in diversion can lessen the chances of someone reoffending. But his progressive policies have made him a polarizing figure in San Francisco. Boudin's opponents have collected enough signatures to force him into a recall election this June, accusing him of being too soft on crime. That's put him at odds with the police chief and the mayor. Do you have faith the district attorney is doing everything he can to keep the city safe? Um, I think you're going to have to ask him that. But I'm asking you, <laughs> That's a do you no. have faith in what he's doing? I am not necessarily on the same page with a number of things that he's doing. That doesn't sound like an endorsement of his office. Well, we are trying to work together, but there's Oh, I didn't endorse him. <laughs> his critics feel like he's been too lenient on criminals. Do you have similar concerns about his office? I think that there's been too much focus on the perpetrators of some of the violent crimes, and we need to start concentrating more on supporting the victims of this city than we are supporting, in some cases, sadly, the criminals. So if the city's top leaders can't seem to agree on how to fight crime, where does that leave James Durgan and his victim, Anne Ray? We took that question to the DA himself. You have a victim in this case who fears for her life and thinks your office isn't doing enough. There is no doubt that in some cases, regardless of who the suspect is, regardless of who the person who caused the harm or used the violence is, that the tools at our disposal as prosecutors, for judges, for police, for sheriffs, in many instances, those tools are inadequate to fully address the societal harm, to help people heal, or to prevent future crime. The DA says a lack of treatment options and housing are partly to blame, but local prosecutors aren't the only ones who can charge James Durgan. Some of his alleged crimes were committed in the Presidio, which is federal land. That means the Department of Justice also has jurisdiction over what happens here. The U.S. Attorney's Office has been completely useless. They've known about Durgan for years, and they have chosen to not do a damn thing. Despite months of our repeated requests, the U.S. Attorney's Office wouldn't comment. Federal prosecutors have charged James Durgan before with burglary and violating Anne's restraining order. But after James served his time, he came back to the Presidio, right to Anne's front door. There's a few minutes left of this, but we've got the idea. <clears throat> yes. This isn't a documentary about saving San Francisco. This is a, no, this, it's a not. This, this is about one person. Yes, it's about this one, and apparently about this one lady's uh, vendetta with this person, or at least her her um, her restraining order against him. Um, yeah, I, I I don't understand how this is some sort of uh, indictment of this. I mean, ETA has its problems, right? We've covered that pretty regularly, no doubt at all. But no more than any other big city um, or uh, any other city. Period. So uh, I don't see why this is anything more than just another attempt to uh, win a Pulitzer Prize. Um, and, but hey, maybe if they do, then <laughs> um, maybe they'll make even better stories. So but I think also going on here is that for any of this to go through, the judge has to agree to it. Like, yeah. So yeah. it's not just Absolutely. the prosecutors. It's not just the public defender's office. The courts also Correct. have to be willing to tango. 
Yeah, and and as Chessa said, or the DA said, uh, there are the tools are woefully inadequate for dealing with folks who have actual you know mental health um, uh, issues and or who have uh, drug treatment issues and or addiction issues and need that help, right? Um, even if they wanted to take it, right, and they were willing to take it, there aren't enough programs out there, and there's not enough beds, and there's not enough opportunity because we don't fund that; we just fund the jails. And, and find a place to put them and incarcerate them and put them out of sight and out of mind. We don't actually spend the money to treat them and hopefully um, give them better opportunity for a life, right? Um, so, and, and then and, what do we and do on this we one? <clears throat> and on this one, I'm not like I'm not like some bleeding heart. Like I don't think the person that they're doing this about should be mingling with the public. At least not until like serious serious work gets done um mm -hmm. not just like a long prison sentence and then let him out no no, no that's that's bad that'll make he'll be worse but yeah. i think this is a person who unless i'm missing a huge piece of this pie right this person does need to be removed from the community it's just that like when we remove this person from the community we're just going to throw him into a fucking into a violent criminal factory and yeah, so into one of those little terrariums you saw, like the, the prison, right? With the, the folks, you know, just pacing back and forth in a tiny room, in a tiny cell, you know, like looking at, staring at those walls. That's got to be really great for someone's psychiatric state, right? Um, and psychological state. So uh, again, it's, it's just traumatizing them again. It's just like being on the street, frankly, to me, just like we talk about how these experiences, you know, they don't, they can create mental illnesses. They can trigger, you know, mental um, breakdowns. Um, and they can cause more problems um, just just by the trauma of being on the street or being in this environment. So, and people <clears throat> people with mental health issues once they are incarcerated are more likely to be assaulted by other prisoners and by the guards. Um, and so it's not like you know it's not like yeah, it's just not treatment. Even even like some of the you know, even some of the treatment programs aren't so great. The in inpatient treatment programs a lot of. A lot of fucking shit going on there too. Let me oh, tell you, hundred percent. We could do a whole episode about that, frankly. Um, so speaking of episodes, there's one more episode of this uh, before their uh, quote unquote. It's their the next one is their season finale. I don't know what season finale means. If I guess there's going to be a second season of Saving San Francisco, and they'll explore even more um, about this one person. Um, but we shall see. But we'll 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 watch like a minute of it and see if there's anything that's actually substantive next week. And yeah. yeah. Uh, or we'll watch maybe half of it like we've been doing or a little more than half of it. it it's it's just, you know, we can just kind of decide on it based on timing because we do have a yeah. heart, heart out on this show. So what's up with Sam well, Licardo? Uh, We're going to move on to down ballot watch. What What's what's going on with our least favorite mayor? <laughs> well, uh, you know, crimes are, are on the rise, apparently. Um, well, to be honest, uh, homicides on the decline in San Jose, not that we have had a huge homicide problem in San Jose. Um, but, uh, a lot of folks are making a lot of hay out of, uh, the, uh, spikes in certain violent crimes during the pandemic, especially domestic violence and things like that. Um, and, uh, things of that nature. And, uh, the mayor, uh, is constantly looking for ways to get himself in the news and to look tough on crimes and to, to look like a, a potential, you know, congressional or statewide candidate, um, and give himself a national profile. So he, uh, decided to hold a press conference to talk about how he's going to fight crimes. And it's mostly has to guess what mostly has to do with more cops. 
San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo is rolling out his new proposal to crack down on crime. The primary goal is a familiar theme of the mayor recently, focusing on stopping what he calls the revolving door at the jail for violent felons, with a big focus on extreme repeat offenders. Licardo noted a police report that identified 30 people who had been arrested at least 10 times, but immediately released because of a pandemic no-bail schedule designed to keep the jail from being overcrowded during the COVID outbreak. The bail schedule, as I know, it will expire on May 31st. I think that's an opportunity for us at least to present data to the judges so they understand what exactly we're seeing out on the street in the communities. And I hope that they will consider some of that data. Legal analyst and former prosecutor Stephen Clark points out the courts are supposed to be independent of law enforcement. But what Mayor Licardo is saying is there's certain people that should not be released because of a public safety concern. So he, law enforcement needs to communicate that early on to the courts if they want to have a partnership here, not just blame the courts when someone uh, leaves or doesn't come back or commits a new crime while they're out on some type of release. Licardo's plan also calls for getting more state and federal funding to expand drug treatment programs and give judges more options in sentencing, noting that many drug addicts, particularly meth users, turn to crime to fund their addiction. Right now, for example, the state has made available a $2.2 billion fund uh, to address mental health and drug treatment needs. Clark supports that. Addressing that through rehabilitation and treatment is the way to go here. I think it'll be a big important factor in decreasing violent crime. The mayor's plan would also help small businesses boost their security technology, not only to protect the shops, but to provide better evidence in burglary and robbery cases. City leaders say they'll address the plan over the next few weeks. In San Jose, Robert Honda, NBC Bay Area News. That was kind of an interesting juxtaposition there after like they were like, oh, this is going to be, you know, we're going to do different kind of programs. And then we just heard the fucking San Francisco one complaining about the different kind of programs for people like that was an interesting juxtaposition for sure. Very much so. And we also this is all playing out amidst a DA's race here in Santa Clara County, where you have a, a public defender, uh, Sajid Khan, challenging the incumbent Jeff Rosen, who's a friend of Licardo's. Um, and has been very, very active on this front and trying to, to appear tough on crimes, right? But also um, talk, really taking the tack of more almost mandating, you know, uh, folks with these, with these um, uh, you know, uh, mental illnesses, folks who are uh, experiencing re recidivism, right? Um, almost mandating that they be put away permanently in a way and, and, and given more tools to go to law enforcement to put them away and keep them away right so they don't commit more crimes when they don't realize that the system is what's really causing them to continue to <laughs> cause crimes you're like you said you're putting them in this this uh uh mixing uh, bowl of criminals and and crime peoples and so obviously they're just going to talk about committing crimes and doing more crimes and you don't really give them a lot of opportunity once they get out anyway so um it's all well and good to talk about it, and it's all well and good to have a five-point plan. When it comes to actually implementing it, it takes political will, and it takes uh, time and thoughtfulness, um, and you can't just uh, you can't just wave a wand uh, and and write a memo. You really have to dig in, and and if you really want to help people, you got to you got to do the the dirty work of community building and and building consensus around these kind of solutions. Because people's first instinct is still, and you look at all the polls, people's first instinct is still more cops. I want to see more cops in the street. That's going to solve the problem. Put people in jail. That's going to solve the problem. That still is, uh, at least in areas like you know San Jose and Santa Clara, Pastoral Santa Clara County, that's still the prevailing wisdom. So we need 
we need to change that. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, this is not Nancy Pelosi test negative for COVID, but this is actually the next story is actually uh, so because Sam Licardo is so you know tough on crimes, he gets himself invited to uh, you know uh, press conferences at the White House about ghost guns. Chat said he's a clout chaser. While trying to make our streets safer from gun violence, that's the goal today of a summit featuring both President Biden and the mayor of San Jose. The result, new measures targeting so-called ghost guns. Those are unlicensed, untraceable, homemade weapons. NBC Barry Scott-Budman joins us now, and I know you spoke to the mayor. What did he have to say? Well, Jessica, Mayor Sam Licardo of San Jose says progress was made to try and curb the number of those untraceable guns that officers say they see at crime scenes. They're called ghost guns, partially because they have no serial numbers and they're assembled from kits. The new measures announced by the president would require commercial makers of the gun kits to be licensed and requires the individual parts that make up the guns to be classified as firearms under the law. Sellers would have to be licensed as well and would have to run background checks on the buyers. We're seeing these proliferate in cities throughout the country, and the efforts that the president announced today will be really critical for cities like San Jose that are working mightily to halt gun violence from these weapons. Uh, of course, since they're untraceable, these guns are only being used essentially to commit crime. Now, there are critics, including the NRA. They say the new crackdown will do virtually nothing to take guns out of the hands of criminals. Mayor Licardo says as recently as 2017, San Jose police officers seized five ghost guns a year. Last year, that number went up to 287. Now, that's about a quarter of all the guns they seized last year. Nationally, more than 20,000 ghost guns were seized last year. 65% of those found in California. Jessica? Okay, thank you very much, Scott. Now, our well, there you go. The beginning of Sam Licardo's congressional campaign. Um, obviously, tough on tough on guns, tough on crimes, uh, tough on other things. <laughs> That's sort of his his game plan. <clears throat> That's a bit of a nothing story, and here's why: if they start requiring all that stuff, people can just three D print a lot of the parts. So, oh, there, for sure. Yeah, no, it's it's again, it's just it's more window dressing than anything else, right? It's 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 like the what did the chat say? Cloud chasing. That's exactly what this is. It's fucking cloud chasing. Um, this is another version of cloud chasing. So Libby Schaff, mayor of Brooklyn, was also at that press conference. Um, but she's also rather pissed because Las Vegas keeps stealing all her professional sports teams. They took the <laughs> fucking, they took the Raiders and now they're trying to, they've been making a lot of noise about trying to steal the A's. So she had a, she had a few things to say about that um, recently in an interview. It's going to be more complicated and you've got to be much more environmentally focused when you are developing on the precious California coastline than in the gross desert of Las Vegas. So, yes, it's more complicated and it's totally worth it. I All saw right. that shade. Uh -huh. It was slipped in there real quick. But OK, we got it. We got it. <laughs> A little bit of a little bit of civic shade going on there. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. There's more regulation by the coast for like a good reason. Oh, 100 percent. Oh, and then the land in Oakland, right? It's, it's just so much more valuable. And what they're talking about building if this ballpark and this sort of development down by the harbor, right? This is very valuable land and it's very useful land. Um, whereas Vegas, they can just build out as far you know as far as they want. They've got infinite space to to use. Um, even within the city, they have tons of space. So this is just more yeah civic shade. Uh, the backstory is that they're working on trying to work out a deal for uh, to, to keep the A's in Oakland, or at least to build a stadium, uh, uh, for the A's to build a stadium in Oakland. Um, so we shall see. I think it still gets worked out, frankly, because um, the, the A's would benefit. They would still 
Um, they'd be the only team left in Oakland, frankly, so they'd have a, a market all to themselves. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I just I love that that little uh, little jab there at our friends down in Vegas. I I could give a fuck after like <laughs> after like watching the the Forty Nineers Stadium in Santa Clara and then watching the yeah. city and and the Forty Nineers and everybody's always fighting and nobody gets anything they want and it isn't working out as well for the city as they thought it was going to work out. I don't give a fuck where this stadium does. goes. Yeah, it never does. Um, it's always a, a boondoggle at this. It, that's you know, if the, if to, to me, it's like if this if a team wants to put up all the money, right, do all the work, the city doesn't have to spend a dime to do it, right, and they get to reap the tax benefits. Then okay, I'm totally cool with that. But every time you involve public financing or public um, money, the city never gets what they're what they put, you know, gets their investment returned. And it's happened everywhere. Santa Clara, it's happened in small towns across America, mostly with football stadiums, frankly, because the revenue and the return on the investment is not that great. You get like 10 games a year and then maybe a few concerts when like, you know, U2 or fucking Taylor Swift comes to town. But most bands aren't playing fucking Levi Stadium. You know, like the, mm-hmm. there's like a handful. There's really like five bands that'll play. They could play Levi Stadium and sell it out. Um, so there's really not a whole lot of opportunity to recoup, right? Even, um, but the, the the big lie is always there. Like, oh, it's just going to be a big, you know, big boon for the city, um, and then they just play on everyone, you know, on the the love of you know the sport, especially with the NFL, right, and the broad appeal, um, and spent throw a lot of money at it at the election because spending a ton of money in an election is worth it to make millions and billions of dollars over thirty or forty years life of a stadium. So. Yeah, usually the city gets screwed. That's, and, that's why Libby's Libby's been playing hardball with the A's. Frankly, like they're going to get a decent deal, but they're never going to get a perfect deal. The only thing, the only thing worse than building one of these stadiums for any of these cities is to have the fucking Olympics. Oh God! It's even, oh, don't even get me started there. Yeah, there was like a referendum, I think, in one country where they had been like the 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 government had you know the committee had gone and got the bid, and then there was like a referendum uh, circulated where people wanted to vote to say no, we don't want the fucking Olympics. <laughs> So there you go. I think it was I think it was China actually, but you know their government doesn't exactly listen to the people in China. So we're going to go ahead and um, end with a with a positive story. We don't yes. do a lot of positive news around here on any of the shows, but we always end down ballot with a positive story. There's a soapbox derby. It hadn't happened in 40 years in San Francisco, so like fucking nobody here was even a fan of it. But apparently it came back and I bet like the video from it is going to be fucking adorable it's i think it's coming i think this is a preview oh. so let's see let's see but i think they had some some preview footage that encourages creativity and just plain silliness return today after more than 40 years oh it did return okay. uh, oh is that covid yes. they're hauling ass thousands of people came yes. to McLaren park this morning in san francisco to watch the soapbox derby uh. dozens of teams took part and the main rule was that those homemade vehicles could not have a motor it was just an excuse this whole thing was a project oh my God. excuse to like collaborate and go really fast joy you know like it's such a good covid break you know uh. I think everybody oh, that's awesome for something like this Looks pretty fun. The race was organized by the SF MoMA. The last soapbox derby in San Francisco was in the 1970s. There's no word yet if this will become an annual event. Oh, it should. That was very fun. That was very cool. The one of the Twin Peaks Tower, uh, that was very well done. Very creative. San Francisco needs a win, and the soapbox derby is the win. I freaking love this. All right, well, let's let's end it on a high note. Uh, who's, who's reading this out into local love tonight? 
Well, be before we go, I think you. that like the guy doing the documentary should do a documentary about the fucking soapbox race, and then he'll for sure win the fucking Pulitzer Prize. Why is it that you didn't have a soapbox derby for forty years? People were clamoring for it, and you were sitting there doing nothing. There were no soaps and no boxes. <laughs> San Francisco was a dearth of soapbox derbies <laughs> until one day. One one great San Franciscan stepped up. Uh, well, thank you as always, Producer Dave, for another wonderful episode of Down Ballot. Everyone, please stay tuned for Local Love coming up right next uh, in the, like moments, minutes, seconds, right here on Echoplex Media. Give us your money to make sure we can, we can continue to provide fabulous programming every night to you. And uh, please tune in every Tuesday at 7.30 Pacific for the live version of Down Ballot. If you are one of our two podcast listeners, please continue to uh, download it and share it with your friends. We know you're sharing it with like 10 of your friends, so we're just going to figure we have like at least 20 listeners. You have a listening um, party. There you go. Uh, and thank you as always for, for tuning in. Make sure you uh, get vaxxed, uh, wear your mask if you want to, and pants are completely optional. It's Audible Smoke. It's Locals. We're going to run a few songs on the Auto DJ. Poor drink. Chip DeVille's going to make his way over here. And we'll be back for a local love. Up, oh, Chip just arrived here. <laughs> <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for FTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing queen Now get the fuck up on and like the scene, yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. We're headed out to the car To smoke another one And another one Now just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it And then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. Last up on the field for the show tonight is down and dirty and five, so we're headed outside to spark up another joint. Now who's got my light? A stoner E, of course. Shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be. I'm fucked up like the U.S. economy. The truth is, is that I don't think logically. Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic. I 
Odyssey Now inside motherfuckers is rocking me And outside shit we smoke a lot of rockin' Rockin' the rollie, all the sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do a stoppin' We do what we want What we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Molly say that he like jamming and he hope he like jamming too. Well, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do, yes, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do. Well, Bob Molly say that he like jamming and he hope he like jamming too. Well, I gotta say, thank you, Bob. We do. Sit back and